We want you to become an honorary gosling. Join us. You'll get exclusive access to conversations and content that would otherwise get us banned from social media. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and selective writings. And check this out. You'll get to participate in our live monthly Discord chat and more if you join our exclusive Patreon following that we like to call The After Party. It only costs $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, and it helps us make the show better. We love you guys and can't wait to see you there. Become an honorary Goslings at patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Your YouTube feed is crap. Stop wasting your time watching bot boosted shills and self appointed gurus cloying for your attention. Instead, join the Goslings interview live stream and podcast. The Goslings, a dark lit digital speakeasy of free thinkers, a super chat of radical truth seeking wizards who eat trolls for second breakfast, topics that'll make your mama's hair stand on end, ideas that'll make your pastor's knees knock, guests that will illuminate the hidden chambers of your mind, and interviews that strike down the darkness. Welcome to the Goslings. What's up, everyone? Hey, everybody. I'm Jonathan. I am Nick. And we are the Goslings. Welcome to our... This is going to be huge. Yeah. This is. I've been so excited for this interview for a long time. Glad you're joining us. Um, before you do anything, hit that button. Hit that subscribe button. Smash that bell. Do all the things. Share the video, like and comment, subscribe, all that. Yeah. Show YouTube that uh, the algorithm will not keep us down. <laughs> no, it will not. <laughs> it will not unless we say naughty words. When we're going to try real hard not to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. But you know how YouTube likes to stifle naughty. conversations about what they're planning. Everything that matters, <laughs> right, exactly. which we're going to talk about today with That's one of our exactly highly right. esteemed guests that That's we right. absolutely love. So, but we're going to get through the quick obligatories and then we're going to jump right into right. it. Right. Let's do the obligatories first. You want to take uh, yes. our first sponsor? Yes. JordaniJovanovic.com. Hairstyling products made by real men for real men. Small husband and wife team make these hair care products mm-hmm. and skincare products and uh, they are super based. Uh, they are conservative Christians uh, running a small business out of Arizona. Yeah. Uh, they are glorious. I always yep. can tell the difference in my Leonidian beard. It is very you know? nice looking. Yes. Very full. If you uh, want to just kind of yeah, get close, crawl up next to the, it. Yeah, just nestle in it. Yeah, you know? you're going to be a great Santa someday. Burrow in it someday. Yeah, yeah. I'm already like that like mid-stage Santa Claus <laughs> in the Claymation movie. You know, the one that's like kind of fat, but like he's still not like really old and fat yet, but he's you're, got the ginger beard. You're about, you're you like 45 minute mark <clears throat> Tim Allen. Yes, that's yeah. exactly okay. what I am. Yeah. All right, gotcha. Yeah, I'm Tim Allen before he gets the red suit, you know, when he's <laughs> like in the doctor's office wondering what's going on. Um, <laughs> it's called a monostat. It is. Um, anyways, be as sexy as you are deadly with JordaniJovanovic.com hair care products. I will spell it for you right now because it might need to be spelled J-A-R-D-A-N-I-J-O-V-O-N-O-V-I-C-H.com. Mm-hmm. Be cool, be sexy, 
be deadly. Give 007 a run for his money. Be the John Wick of your neighborhood with Jardani Jovanovic. Nice, nice, Take it away. nice. Um, I will be uh, mentioning this is our uh, Kothon Spartan mug. These are made by Joel Cherico at CherikoPottery.com. Yes. Handcrafted each and every one. Handcrafted, hand-painted yeah. by a master potter made in conjunction with or in collaboration with Stephen Pressfield mm-hmm. uh, to replicate what they believe the actual Spartan Kothon mug uh, looked like. This is basically the closest they could get yeah. to what the real deal was right here. So go to CherokoPottery.com, uh, check it out. They are a pretty penny, but worth every one of them. Yeah, they really are. C-H-E-R-R-I-C-O Pottery.com, Cherico Pottery. Awesome. Check them out. Let's do our toast. Okay, toast time. I'm I'm getting anxious. I'm ready to get I'm ready to get Derek on. I know. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, who went first? I think you went first last time. I think so. Why I'll, don't you take it away? I'll do it this time. Take up the broken sword of your father and strike down the darkness. Cheers. You hear how well these things right. clank? I know. Let me do a toast. Yeah, it's also a nice uh, testament to Cherico Pottery's durability yeah. that we haven't smashed these things yet. You know, we'll try harder next <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> Will we? I don't know. I love this thing. I know. Anyways. All right. Well, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here to talk about the beast. Yes. And the metaverse. Yep. You, you, a man who needs no introduction, you know, Derek Gilbert, Derek P. Gilbert.com. Gilbert House. Uh, Yeah. Five and 10 Skywatch. Yeah. Author of numerous books. Yeah. We are very uh, fortunate and blessed to count him as a friend and someone who has uh, been on our live stream before. And has decided to come back to talk about all things relevant when it comes to the That's metaverse. Right. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Gilbert, how are you? It's an honor to be back with you, fellas. I really enjoyed it the last time here. Enjoy what you do and appreciate the, uh, the, the, the level of work that you put into the production quality. My podcast is simply, we, we run the intro, run the outro, and uh, stick a promo in the middle, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what though? There's points for efficiency in that in that Derek or extemporaneous speaking sometimes gets the best. Well, that's true. Sure. Sure. Seems to be working really well. I should probably just do that. Yeah, you know, it's quality, not quantity. That's uh that's that's the motto there at uh, the Goslings. That's right. Well, obviously because we have Derek Gilbert on as our guest today. I think we have proven that we can achieve that can for sure. That level. So, uh yeah, it, this is this is a, a been a a hot topic uh, lately. And for me, this has been something that has been on my mind persistently for months as we look at uh, developing technologies. As the world is like burning down around us, yeah. technology continue, continues to advance, continues to get more invasive. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if that's part of the plan. Yeah. So one of the, one of the first things I wanted to ask you kind of had to do with uh, cryptocurrency. Like, how do you see that playing into, how do you see that playing into the end times? That's a good question. That's one that, uh, was addressed by a friend of ours, um, Guy Malone, who is, uh, now an editor for Bitcoin magazine. Uh, he, uh, he's got a very interesting life. He, he lives in Roswell, New Mexico. He's originally from your neck of the woods, Nashville. Okay. And, oh, cool. uh, relocated to Roswell, uh, years ago because he is a, an experiencer, a contactee and we started looking for answers. He would be somebody worth getting on the goslings. He hosted 
several conferences in Roswell called the uh, Ancient of Days conferences with people like Mike Heiser, uh, the late Patrick Flynn, but he got some uh, secular uh, folks in there as well who are well-known, Richard Hoagland, to mm -hmm. uh, come and address the, uh, the conference. And in fact, the city of Roswell let him uh, coordinate the actual UFO festival a few years ago. Oh, cool. So he is uh, our missionary to Roswell, but his day job now is um, working in the field of cryptocurrency and specifically as an editor. So he is really in touch with what's going on with this. And uh, we invited him to address this issue at Skywatch TV for the virtual conference uh, in the spring. And his topic was, is Bitcoin the mark of the beast? Because this is the kind of technology, for those of us not really familiar with it, and in you know, interest of full disclosure, Sharon and I don't own any cryptocurrency, no Bitcoin. Yeah. And those are terms that overlap, but they are not synonymous. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Bitcoin is a decentralized form of electronic currency where um, or loosely organized nodes of computers all over the world help process mm -hmm. transactions and, and validate the transactions and make sure that they're secure. Nobody controls Bitcoin. No one entity, no one person, no one company. Now, there are a lot of other cryptocurrencies out there. Probably the best known is Ethereum. And then there are what are called stable coins, which are cryptocurrencies that are pegged, that whose value is pegged to a fiat currency. And probably the best known is uh, Tether. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just learning about this because I'm not, I am not, I do not follow cryptocurrency or Bitcoin very closely. But uh, Guy addressed the issue and said, no, Bitcoin cannot be the mark of the beast because of its, the fact that it's, it's a distribution network. No one person, no one government entity, no one corporation has control over Bitcoin. However, central banks, Yep. are ramping up their efforts to develop their own digital currencies. So you're going to see the acronym CBDC a lot more frequently in the months ahead. Central Bank Digital Currency. Yep. China is already working on it. They've already rolled out a digital yuan, the Bank of Japan, European Central Bank, Bank of England, the Federal Reserve Bank, the New York Fed, just within the last couple of weeks, has uh, announced it's launching a 12-week trial that will involve some of the largest financial players in the United States. You know, uh, uh, Chase Mellon, uh, well, probably getting Bank of New York Mellon, BNY Mellon, right. uh, and a number of others that are all connected to this, giving this a three-month trial run to see if the Federal Reserve Bank can create and uh, process transactions uh, using a digital dollar. The, the difference between a central bank digital currency an electronic medium of exchange that's controlled by a central bank is that every transaction using that digital currency is funneled through that central controlling authority. Again, the one advantage of Bitcoin is that it's not controlled by any one entity. You've got financial privacy, yeah. which is why governments and central bankers are trying to eliminate it. Yeah, yeah. But it's even worse. So Elimination of, of financial privacy. That's what they're trying to accomplish. But it's even worse than that. And this is something that Guy pointed out in his presentation. And you may be able to find this still at, uh, at Guy's website, GuyMalone.com. Um, he pointed out that a central bank digital currency would give the issuer the power to decide what that currency could be spent on. So really? if it's determined. That's that horrifying. 
Yeah, I mean, Mr. Gilbert, I'm sorry, your cholesterol count is a little too high <laughs> today. Oh, I'm that... sorry, Yi, you said the wrong thing. We're going to wipe you right. out. Right. Imagine China's social credit score. Yes. Social credit system married to the medium of exchange that you use to buy and sell each day. That's yeah. what a central bank digital currency could lead to. And that could become the mark of the beast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one more step on the road to the mark of the beast. And, Correct. you know, we see it even now with uh, with the 1099-Ks that uh, Venmo and other, you know, digital transfer services and apps are going mm -hmm. to start handing out per the IRS, mm -hmm. you know. And so, you know, that that $600 that you made for, you know, selling your, you know, your old desk or whatever to your neighbor you know, six months ago, all of a sudden, don't be surprised if you get a 1099 K from the IRS mm -hmm. for it. And now, so they're squeezing. It's like the noose is tightening on all right. forms of currency that they can get their hands on. How long do you think, if you can even quantify it, how long do you think it is before fiat currency is uh, evaporated? Because they've already tried mm -hmm. to do that during uh during the past couple of years you know mm -hmm. because it was uh a health concern that it would spread right oh yeah <laughs> you remember that you're spreading the covid <laughs> by giving the the paper monies um yeah. sorry i said one of the bad words that's right spreading the cooties <laughs> the co yeah. <laughs> yeah the cooties <laughs> just Probably. take the job and eat your bugs yeah <laughs> <laughs> you'll own nothing and you'll be happy and you'll be happy <laughs> probably within the next 20 years yeah um you know fiat currency for whatever you think about a fiat currency the fact that it's backed by nothing but the full faith and credit of the united states government mm -hmm. uh, it's not really backed by what it used to be backed by the gold standard uh you can't physically trade your dollars for gold or silver anymore but nobody seems to care right um this is just, we're being conditioned to accept something like this. Yeah. And, and they're already pushing us toward the elimination of cash, even before the announcement that uh, central banks were beginning to investigate uh, and do research into issuing a CBDC. Because, you know, the only people who use $100 bills anymore are tax cheats, terrorists, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, gangsters or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. drug dealers. Um, well, no. I mean, there are times when having some fiat currency in your pocket is helpful. Like when you're in the middle of nowhere, your car breaks down and you got to pay the guy with the tow truck. Yeah. You know? yeah. Or, heaven forbid, uh, the internet goes out and your, mm -hmm. your, you know, your, your debit card doesn't work anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we here in the West, and, and see, this is one of the problems I have with, with digital currencies, even Bitcoin. And I know that, you know, Guy would disagree with me on this. And he's a very intelligent guy, knows a lot more about Bitcoin than I do. So please take that into consideration when you, you, you know, when you consider my opinion. Yeah. I just think putting my personal wealth into a bunch of bits and bytes mm -hmm. uh, just, just makes me really uncomfortable. You know, of yep. course, having said that, you know, I can't go down to our local bank and say, okay, show me the stack of monies in mm -hmm. your vault that belongs to me because they mm -hmm. don't have it they're probably at 10 percent, according to fractional reserve banking requirements they probably have you know 10 to 20 percent of yeah. all of the deposits in there yep. at any mm -hmm. time because you know unlike it's a wonderful life all of us don't go rushing down there to the bank and demand uh -huh. our money out of the building and loan at the same time yeah, um, yeah. but 
but that's what happened with uh, FTX, uh, yes. Sam Bankman Freed, and uh, that that uh, cryptocurrency exchange recently. And I'll set that aside for a moment. We can come back to that. But we're being conditioned to accept that this is okay. It used to be we wanted to have something tangible as an asset. Mm-hmm. We wanted to know that these uh, Federal Reserve notes or silver certificates or whatever could be exchanged for something of value gold or the equivalent value of gold or silver mm-hmm. that ended in 1969 when the u.s moved off the gold standard so now the treasury can print as much money as it wants and it's just backed by you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> backed by the hope that the rest of the world will still buy oil you know what it's backed by it's backed by it's it's backed by the drizzling brains of jfk that's because they had to get him out of the way in order to, you know, there is that, that thought that like, he yeah. just wanted to go back to a, a silver, you know, yeah. Yeah. Silver yeah. back currency. But, yeah. you know, we, we've been conditioned over the years, you know, Hey, what's in your wallet, you know, stop holding <laughs> up the line by standing there and writing a check or handing uh-huh. out cash, looking for exact change, just uh-huh. swipe your card and move on. So mm-hmm. we've already kind of been conditioned to accept that our, Money isn't real money. It's just digital bits and bytes being moved back and forth. So that's a short step from that to uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah, and there are a lot of crypto exchanges right now that are right. offering a essentially a debit type card mm-hmm. that you can use anywhere. So you know, you tap your card, it automatically calculates. It right. does the exchange, of course, minus I'm sure a very significant fee that but they I, get off of yeah, that. But, but they're again, like, hey, you can spend your crypto just like that. The, the idea, though, that you're placing your money in a crypto exchange like FTX or any of the other crypto exchanges out there, again, nullifies the one advantage of Bitcoin is that nobody right. has control over your money. Yeah. You know, you hold it in your own wallet uh, mm-hmm. and nobody nobody can get at it. At least that's theoretically the case. Right. Now, the yeah. downside, of course, is that if things really hit the fan and the Internet breaks down, we start having rolling blackouts or whatever. How do you get at it? Right. Yeah. You know, how do you use it? The one, the one advantage of crypto, of Bitcoin, really, is that it's really, really useful until things really break down, in which case you got to fall back on the, you know, the fiat currency or tangible assets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sharon and I, we've got lots of beans and toilet paper because we figure those will be the medium, the, the, the actual media of exchange when things yeah. really get bad. You can't eat gold or silver. Yeah, and yeah. guys with guns will be looking for stuff like that. Beans and toilet paper, uh-huh. you can always trade that for something. Yeah, beans, toilet paper, and then uh, and then the sundries. Um, you know, yeah. uh, alcohol, uh, tobacco products, contraceptives, penicillin, any of the sure. any of the things that you know. Yeah, because even them. fiat currency. You know, I mean, you could start a fire with it, but that's about Long it. Long shelf life yeah. and uh, some and some use, some value to it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, you know, it's nothing new. I know that uh, I have a real good friend who is from uh, Chicago, and he made a ton of money 10 years ago uh, having uh, crypto and maybe Bitcoin specifically uh, exchange kiosks like ATMs basically. Oh, wow set up wow. like in new york and you know so wow. and even and like oh yeah yeah super smart guy he's like one of those 150 iq guys you know where like he reads the way most people like watch youtube <laughs> you know yeah. but even um I-, I was having an fal put together with a recon counter sniper marine from the first gulf war like 15 years ago it was like this whole weekend we hung out together you know and uh he's telling me all these stories and he told me that like fort knox is empty and it's been empty for what 30 right. years you know at the time that. yeah so yeah. you know when yeah. you hear that you yeah. know 
Yeah. But but the thing about these uh, these crypto exchanges is that they are not regulated. I mean, as as wild as our banking system is, I, and I wrote about this in our book uh, Giants, Gods, and Dragons, as we were writing about the uh, the rider on the black horse, mm-hmm. which we believe is the ancient entity known as Nabu to the Babylonians, oh, yeah. or mm-hmm. Hermes to the Greeks, Mercury to the Romans, whose name comes from the same Latin root from which we get merchant and merchandise and mercantile. Uh, yes. Yeah, the god of um, exchange, the god of commerce, the god of business, but also mm-hmm. the god of thieves, probably not coincidentally. <laughs> yeah. In history, he was the god of ledgers and accounts, the god the, the god of hmm. scribes. Yeah, the one who kept track of who was That's giving right. what to the uh, to the uh, uh, the temple, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 rider on the black horse in Revelation six is described as uh, carrying a, a set of scales, and yeah, it kind of makes sense in this, you know, in the context of of business, you know, weights and measures and all that. Mm-hmm. But it really the, the Greek word really means um, uh, yoke, like what you put around the neck of an ox so that the ox will pull the plow. Well, we are we are the oxen with the zugos, the yoke around our necks for those who are building this this global system of financial servitude. I mean, this this is why God told Moses, the Jews, the Israelites would have to have a jubilee every seven years. Debts would be released during the Shemitah year every seven years so that there would be no debt slaves. But now we live in a culture here in the modern West, where we're accustomed to 30-year mortgages, student loans that take 20 to 25 years to pay off, credit mm-hmm. card debt that you can never get out of. You're like George Jetson on the treadmill. Jane, get me off this crazy thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Car loans uh-huh. that used to be four or five years are now seven, eight years. Some are running as long as 10. Mm-hmm. And it's all to get us on this debt treadmill where we yeah. are paying into a system and, uh, you know, it's so inconvenient. You have to write all those checks every month. Here, just let us draw it right out of your account. We yep. don't see mm-hmm. most of the money that we transact. I mean, Sharon yeah. and I, for, you know, we, we use paying over the internet, you know, for, for most of our bills. We, you know, so again, the money, we never see it go into the account. We never see it go out. But, you know, uh-huh. praise God, the lights are still on. So, right. so that must be working. It's, it's a short step away from... The, from the, the majority of the public being sold on the idea that for the sake of security and, and um, make it easier to serve the unbanked, those in disadvantaged communities who, it, you know, it's so difficult to get the, uh, mm. uh, the COVID stimulus checks to certain people because they don't have bank accounts. But if they mm-hmm. all got, you know, an ID that's built right into their hand or their forehead, mm-hmm. which is a mockery of where the uh, phylacteries, the tefillin were worn by the, uh, Jews, you know, on the forehead or on the hand. Uh-huh, uh, okay. It's, it's, people will line up for it. Great. Yeah. It'll go right into my, Fed, my, I'll get these digital bucks in my Fed bank account. Mm-hmm. And then all I have to do is just wave my hand when I go through. It's coming and it probably will be within, I would say, a matter of decades, if not just years. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. Gonna, it's going to be that digital currency uh-huh. that they're going to be able to control. And yeah. it'll be controlled by your social credit score. I mean, and this is common knowledge outside of the the circles that we tend to, to run in, the Christian esoterica, you know, mm-hmm. conspiracy mm-hmm. circles. This is common knowledge amongst the, <laughs> to be honest with you, amongst the NPCs, you know, and half of them are all for the social credit score. They think it's sure. a great yeah. idea. Because they yeah. because they're godless, so they inherently ascribe to environmentalism, which is 
Luciferian at the least, if not outright satanic, because it's a it's a misanthropic agenda. It's an anti-human agenda. Yeah, so. and I and I think too, like the social credit score. I think that is going to converge with credit score in general. Oh, absolutely. Where you're going to have to have you're going to have to be saddled with debt mm -hmm. because that's you know the the, the borrower slave to the lender, right? And uh, they want you so they. They want everything so heavily leveraged that they can control you. Yeah. And um, I, I think that if you're a debt-free person, I wonder, I don't know if you think this or not, Derek, but I wonder if you are completely debt-free, not beholden to anybody, if that would tank your social credit score oh, in absolutely. that system. Yeah, well, I mean, we even see this now where you know, kids coming out of college are told, you know, you should get a credit card so you can start building up your credit score so that you can then borrow more money to get a car and then borrow more money to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was talking to um, I was talking to somebody about this, and uh, we were talking about small businesses and how it's almost impossible uh, to have a to Dave Ramsey your way up the ladder as a small business. The only way to to really grow your your small business into a not so small business is to take on debt and to, and to spend loans. other people's money. Yeah, yeah. To get business loans so that you can then pay it off. Like I had insufficient credit Derek for the longest time. Cause I'd always Dave Ramsey it until I got a credit card until I got like a $1,500 regions credit card. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, you have 700, three years later, you have like 770 something credit score, you know, 800 credit score and you can get all these loans and, you know, you get all these offers once you're right. in the coils of the Leviathan, it just smiles <laughs> at you. You know, it's the fundamental difference between the West and the East right now. And, and we're, we're actually really? seeing global system fracturing. This is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because the globalists like Klaus Schwab and his uh, his uh, minions mm -hmm. believe that they're going to control things. And right now, China, even though Schwab just recently said, you know, China is a, is kind of a model nation and uh, how we should all be following, you know, China and, and its, uh, its policies, you know, zero COVID policies and, and social mm -hmm. credit scores and so forth. China is not going to play ball with the World Economic Forum forever. China's rise mm -hmm. to global economic powerhouse really began when it began to partner with the World Economic Forum about 40 years ago. Yep. And China is, is, has used the gullibility of Western elites and, and what our friend Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis calls elite capture. And I'm sure that term's not original to him, but elite capture. They basically offer incentives through things like the Thousand Talents Plan to get uh, academics to send all the research back to Beijing in exchange for, you know, gifts. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Uh, and we see it in, um, you know, like the, the uh, offer to build a Chinese garden as a cultural exchange in Washington, D.C., which the FBI thankfully stepped up and said, hey, wait a minute, that's on the highest point in D.C. with direct line of sight to the Capitol. It's a great listening post. And China's not letting us open any of the building materials before they get to the building site. So let's not oh, do really? that. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. They so it's the one time when the FBI actually did right. the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. That's so awesome. The Chinese are really smart at this, but yeah. Russia is doing the same thing. They're playing longer games. Uh, and, and the Europeans are finally figuring out that this, this whole uh, Ukraine thing is not working out to their benefit. Uh, this past week, they suddenly woke up and realized that the inflation reduction act, mm -hmm. another example of how you want to know what any bill passed by Congress does read the title, assume it's the opposite. Uh, yeah. the incentives yeah. built into the IRA are, uh, 
slanted against European business. So now they've got their cheap energy source cut off thanks to American pressure, you know, and, and the Nord Stream accident. Uh-huh. And they're realizing, wait a minute, the only ones who are really coming out well on this thing are the Americans because they're selling a lot more liquidified natural gas and weapons. And mm -hmm. we're the ones who are facing a long, cold, dark winter. Yep. Whoops. Uh, the fundamental difference between the U.S. and the West is, is to a lesser degree, but the U.S. especially, is that we are practicing financial capitalism, financial yes. capitalism, where we don't really invest in the means of producing things and then reap the benefits, the profits that accrue from whatever the finished goods are. Yes. We invest in other financial instruments, mm -hmm. whereas Russia, India, China, actually the BRICS plus nations brazil russia india china south africa and soon to include saudi arabia mm -hmm. and perhaps venezuela perhaps iran is that they're in they're actually uh industrial capitalism they're actually investing in industry and business and building and the global south africa they're going to go along with the chinese and the russians because they've got the resources and they're willing to offer them cheaper than we in the west mm -hmm. so it's going to be interesting to see how this globalist ideal plays out when you've got this fundamental split taking place between the West, which is the United States and NATO, and yep. pretty much the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, uh, we, we have to remember, they're just the BRICS nations alone, that's about two-thirds of the world's population right there. And once you get yep. the Saudis into this uh, coalition, a big chunk of the world's hydrocarbons, yep. and uh, thanks to the Chinese and their control over uh, sub-Saharan Africa, a lot of the world's rare earth metals too. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our uh, good friends and uh, guests, uh, Gabriel Bello, said right there, China thinks in terms of centuries and millennia, unlike our country, which can't seem to think farther than four to eight years. Yep. You know, my, my dad put it this way. He said uh, the Eastern mindset is like a ballet. There are times when you've got uh, really uh, uh, intense activity at other times where things are slower and slower moving, mm -hmm. but it's all choreographed and they know where it's going to end. Whereas Western capitalism is like a hockey game. Mm -hmm. And we put, if we're running behind at the end of the period, we pull mm -hmm. the goalie and send everybody down and okay, we give up an open net goal. All right. But it doesn't matter because we, everything is about what's going to happen during this 20 minute period. Yeah. And I think he was right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, real quick, Derek, um, you have mentioned the phrase, uh, what was it? Bricks mm -hmm. nations. Um, just, yeah. I've never heard that term before. What is that? It's, it's a coalition of uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, ah, South Africa, those five nations. Initialism. Okay. Yeah. They've been together for several years now, uh, essentially as a counterweight to uh, the United yeah. States and the West. They realized that between their, uh, the, the populations that they control and also the control over natural resources, Russia, oil, mm -hmm. natural gas, uh, that they might benefit from working together to offset the control of world financial markets, for example, the SWIFT interbank system mm -hmm. uh, exercised by the United States. The uh, United States controls uh, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund. It's all controlled by either the U.S. or European allies. Um, what we're seeing now in Ukraine is a fracturing of this system where the world is being asked essentially to choose sides and uh, just recently, just within the last couple of months, it was announced by the BRICS nations that Saudi Arabia wants to join this group. Uh, 
Argentina, I believe, Venezuela, perhaps, Iran, perhaps, all being considered. But uh, it is really in response to what Western elites are doing. Mm-hmm. Like I said, now we're seeing that um, European politicians, top European officials, according to Politico, are really furious at the Biden White House at continuing to push this and recommend behind the scenes that uh, Vladimir Zelensky not negotiate with the Russians. Mm-hmm. It's like the Europeans are the ones who are paying the price for this. Their, mm-hmm. their energy bills have just gone oh, yeah. crazy. over. And, and here in the U.S., we're looking at uh, the, the exports of liquefied natural gas over the last uh, three, four months have just spiked here. So yeah. we're doing fine. Europeans, not so much. And yet the Biden White House is still behind the scenes telling Zelensky, don't make a deal. Don't make a deal. Don't make oh, a deal. Of course. Jeez. Putin is... is he is really winning this thing. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't know that from watching our Western media, but Putin's mm-hmm. war of attrition is causing this Western alliance to fracture. And there are stories that come out, if you look for them, that the United States, to a degree, but certainly our European allies, are running out of weapons because we're sending them all to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I have it on good authority that there is an inordinate amount of tow and stinger missiles that get sent to Poland. Yep, and the second they hit the Polish border, no one knows where they go. Yeah, Inter- Interpol and Europol, which is the European counterpart to Interpol, basically mm-hmm. saying that uh, there are there are organized crime syndicates, gangs in Finland now mm-hmm. that are showing up with weapons that were intended to be used by the Ukrainian military. So, uh-huh. well, you know, there, Russia and China. There were reports, probably what, seven, eight months ago that Russia and China were wanting to come off of the uh, the petrol dollar, you know? And, mm-hmm. of course, that infuriates the banking cartels that control Western civilization. And as Ukraine is uh, a dumping ground for all of Western civilization's dirty laundry anyways, mm-hmm. so they have to protect their investment. And and you got to, you know, you got to protect that, uh, that Muppet you know, who yep. used to be an actor yep. who now is a president yep. of a country that is, you know, a little more than a, a cracked facade for do all you, of our sins. Do you think in January any of this will change or how do you think this whole thing with Ukraine is going to play out? Yeah. Your opinion? I think I think uh, Russia is going to continue doing what it's doing, which is just slowly grinding away at the, the Ukrainian <laughs> military. And it's tragic because the Ukrainian people, regardless of, because I've seen this argument on both sides, you know, Putin sure. is, is the savior of Western civilization or Christendom. <laughs> on the other hand, you know, Putin is the Antichrist. Um, somewhere in between there is is the truth. There, yeah. there is no, you know, what's that old song? There ain't no good guy. There ain't no bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Ukrainian people are the ones who are suffering, which is why millions of them have now fled to Romania and Poland and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the approach of the Biden White House and the elites who are pulling his strings, the neocons who are running this show, is that they're going to fight to the last Ukrainian. And that's tragic mm, Yeah, because the Ukrainian people are not going to get anything out of this deal. Yeah, um, no, I think not. I think Putin, if he's smart, is just going to keep slowly grinding away and mm-hmm. using up the uh, the the weapons reserves of mm-hmm. Western nations and the United States. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually he'll just settle, I think, for everything east of the Dnieper River, basically the Donbass, which is majority yep. Russian. Yep. When, you, when you look at how they voted in the last election, the uh, area controlled by Russia right now 
voted heavily for Yanukovych, the uh, pro-Russian candidate who won the l- election overall. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, he was forced out by a coup that was backed by the West. Mm-hmm. The very famous Victoria Newland phone call, you know, F the EU as mm-hmm. to uh, who was going to take over uh, Petro Porovich was the guy who was uh, installed as uh, Yanukovych's successor when he was run out of the country. Now, if we were to put this shoe on the other foot and look at Mexico and say a pro-American president is elected in Mexico, and then China backs a coup that runs him out and installs a pro-Chinese right. president, and then shortly thereafter, we start finding Chinese weapons showing up in the hands of the Mexican military, mm-hmm. that that would not play well here in the United States. And we might take yeah. energetic measures to put a stop to it. Uh-huh. Not defending Putin invading we're just saying that when we look at these countries, we Americans don't really know much of the local history and how the people get along with one another. We assume Ukraine, they're all Ukrainians. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, they're just as divided as we are here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And just like we here in the Ozarks can't figure out what, how San Franciscans live the way they do, and they can't figure out how we live the way we do. <laughs> yeah. The right. People in the eastern and western parts of Ukraine are just as divided. Yeah, and what's yeah. really ironic and hypocritical for us in the West, Ukraine deserves to be free. Okay, but when this what was does that mean? Serbia a while back when the when the Albanians in Kosovo wanted to be independent and free, we were all in favor of a free and independent Kosovo. So why mm-hmm. are we not in favor of a free and independent Donbass when they apparently want to be part of Russia? Yeah, yeah. it's because it serves our purposes right doesn't serve our better interests our financial interests and the interest of as mike fisher the owner of jardani jovanovich points out uh that ukraine um is being laundered for the mafia uh, to provide kickback to uh certain politicians coffers who may have participated in a certain um upper echelon united states election uh debacle oh that we can't talk about. That we can't talk about or, or question <laughs> or challenge. Yeah, and we're, we're not doing that, by the way, and algorithm. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. They, no, they no. went through and they found something I said like 18 months ago and hit us with a strike on our channel. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and you know, uh, there's also the report that $2.6 billion of uh, FTX was uh, offloaded by SBF before um, mm-hmm. before it tanked. And now there are reports that that money is uh, showing up being funneled over there to... Uh, to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to talk to Guy Malone about that tomorrow for a future episode of my podcast. Nice. Oh, cool. Figure out what that's about. Yeah. Um, what, what's really curious is that um, th- this whole thing is, is smoke and mirrors. So, some of these yeah. crypto exchanges. Again, again, let's separate Bitcoin out of this. And I'll say again, I'm not a fan. I, I don't own any Bitcoin, but I understand the motives of people who do. Mm-hmm. Friends of mine who are who've really studied this, do believe in it and have invested in Bitcoin, fine. Again, I'd rather have the dollars in my wallet, mm-hmm. physical dollars in my physical wallet instead of virtual coin in a virtual wallet. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. But what I, what I didn't know until this past week, I'd never heard of Tether. I'd heard oh, the yeah. term stable coin, mm-hmm. uh, which is a cryptocurrency that's, that's pegged, that pegs its value to the value of a, uh, uh, a more liquid, tangible asset like the US dollar. Tether is one of the most popular stable coins out there. And it turns Mm -hmm. out that um, since about 2017, when Tether was launched, um, and then FTX was launched around 2019, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. uh, they began 
exchange it it Tether is used basically, or was used for most of the transactions of FTX. You would basically take your U.S. dollars and buy Tether. One Tether is one dollar, so you you know exchange mm-hmm. for Tether, and right. then you use Tether to buy uh, mm-hmm. your whatever, or deposit it with FTX, or buy FTX's token, which is called FTT. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that. Uh, according to research, as the stories I'm reading here, and I don't know that they've they've untangled this this web yet, but 60% of the tethers in circulation had been purchased by either FTX or FTX's sister company, its trading company, Alameda, which was run by SBF's girlfriend. Uh-huh. So uh, okay, so what 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 is what what is this? Now the, here's the thing with tether. Being like a bank, mm-hmm. it's supposed to have at least a certain percentage of actual dollars in its in its reserves, right? Because it's supposed to be again, it's a stable coin. When you buy right. a tether, you deposit a U.S. dollar, and they issue you a tether. You create money, right? But, but there has to be liquidity. Liquidity is the term they use. They have to have actual right. money to give you back if you, right? And and theoretically, tether is supposed to have as many dollars in reserves as there are tethers in circulation, because you can only get a tether if you give them a dollar. But they've never been edited or audited. Really, they've been promising mm. that they would be audited since 2017, when their valuation was like one billion or less than a billion dollars. And they, but instead, they've been issuing what they call attestations, where they get somebody who's an accountant to, mm-hmm. you know, certify. Yes, I've I've looked at their books and everything is fine. No audit. It's just, yeah, I've, mm. I've rubber stamped this. And the one time they did that back in 2017, they had to borrow uh, about $360 million, if I remember the story correctly, so they could get that attestation. Now, their valuation then was less than a billion. The valuation now is like $700 billion, I think. Jeez. It's, Whoa. So how is, how is this how is, there, how is this possible? How is it possible that this is, it's kind of the wild west out there. And I think this may be deliberate. Uh, It's a wealth transfer. I could be wrong on, yeah, I could be wrong on the the valuation to tether there. So don't, don't hold me to that. I'm still trying to get my head around this story, but it's, (laughs) it's, the valuation is a lot more now than it was five years ago and they've still not been audited. So that's, that's the point here. Um, Wow. What's surprising is that tether has not been, uh, pulled into bankruptcy by the collapse of FTX, since uh, so many of FTX's transactions were done in this stablecoin called Tether. There are questions that Tether, there, there's some speculation that Tether may be useful to certain three-letter government agencies. Ah, uh-huh. In the same way that uh, if you're old enough to remember BCCI back during the first Bush administration. I don't remember that. The Bank of Credit and Commerce International, BCCI, back in the early 80s, was like one of the five or six largest banks in the world. And it turned out that it was being used by uh, weapons dealers and drug runners and terrorists and so forth. But the CIA apparently was at back doors and they were kind of watching all the money. So Mm -hmm. this bank's books were booked, but it was kept Uh afloat because it was useful to the government. Well, there's some speculation here because there are stories out there going over over the last couple of years that Tether is the preferred cryptocurrency of some of those moderate rebels in uh, Syria and (laughs) other groups that are soliciting Uh for, you know, fundraising. Hey, if you want to give us a donation, you can do it via Tether. All right. Mm. Okay. 
but where's their balance sheet? Where's the audit? Now there yeah, is no yeah. audit. There may never be an audit. Don't yeah. know. I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of anything here. It's just one of these things that when you get to a certain age, you're just skeptical enough about stuff that just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Think, okay, it does make sense if you view this a different way. Yeah. Okay. If this was actually a legitimate business, it makes no sense that it's still around, but it could be financing, you know, facilitating certain financial transactions that uh, certain government agencies want to keep out of public, the public eye. Mm -hmm. so now, what role did FTX play in all of that? Have no idea. Have yeah. no idea. This is way beyond me, it, yeah. and especially for not being a, an expert in cryptocurrency. I can just kind of look at the big picture and say, okay, a lot of smoke here. So I'm yeah. betting there's a fire. Well, maybe Guy Guy Malone might be able to give you some insight. I'm that, betting yeah. he will. Yes. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Well, um, I kind of want to. I kind of want to change gears and uh, jump over to the metaverse talk a little bit about the metaverse um i would i have my own opinions on it uh and I, I don't think anyone's really interested in my opinion on the metaverse i think you know i think it's sinister and evil and everything but everything seems to be yeah i know i know i know i would like to hear though derek uh as this technology develops and becomes more invasive uh tell us what europe is there any escaping the metaverse right because it's coming and it's like I don't want it to like tell us they're, they're tightening the noose with crypto. Yeah, right? they are. I mean, they're yeah. tightening yeah. the noose with crypto. You control the money. What else can you control outside of that? And are we all just going to be watching Ariana Grande and our <laughs> VR headset getting our paste, you yeah. know, our food paste plugged into our, you know, our what's matrix. So head? What's so dangerous yeah. about it? What's so dangerous about it? And where's this whole thing going? I think the, the metaverse is the, uh, the goal of, godless developers who see it as a way to create a reality that is free from the influence of the creator yep. and the rules um, of the game that he has created. If you view the natural realm in which we all operate as a game and God is a game designer yeah. and he's placed us all in here, which, which gives a whole new kind of meaning to NPCs. Um, we understand that we have to operate according to his rules. There's some people who don't want to operate according to his rules. Mm -hmm. In fact, looking back through history in the pages of the Bible, we see that there are certain sons of God, supernatural entities that didn't want to play by his rules either and decided to try to create their own race to take dominion of this uh, planet God mm -hmm. created and then gave to the children of Adam and Eve, you know, go forth and uh, multiply and take dominion of, I think this is an opportunity. This is a, a really lame attempt by humans to try to create our own universe <laughs> free of the restraints of God and to eliminate then uh, th those rules that they find really restrictive. I, I yeah, think this yeah. is just an extension of the transhumanist movement, this idea that we can somehow mm -hmm. be as gods, that we can overcome death through yeah, science, yeah. through technology. And... Um, so far, the uh, the processing power just isn't there. The early efforts by uh, Metaverse, you know, Facebook, just it, it is really lame. I'm, it, I'm, lame is the perfect word for it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, there have been articles that have leaked out over the past few weeks that uh, even the developers, even the staff at Meta 
don't like using the metaverse. They've basically <laughs> been ordered by the bosses. You must get in there and use it. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, great. I got to put on this headset again. And, uh... But I, I, I'm actually using this as a, a plot device. I mean, if you want to think about how this might be fictionalized, the Matrix yeah. movies are a good way of look of, of uh, kind of envisioning how this might look if it reaches the level that uh, developers want. Although the players in the game would be able to perhaps self-actualize in ways that you can't in the Matrix movies because the mm -hmm. Matrix is kind of, you know, everybody who's in it, most everybody who's in it doesn't realize that they're in it. Right. right. Whereas in the metaverse, uh, well, you know, if you want to be, you want wings if you want to be a different gender if you want to be a different species that's all fine mm -hmm. you know i i talked about this years ago in uh with the second life which is sort of like the the alpha yep. version yes. of what they're trying to create mm -hmm. and showed some video for people who were not aware of this uh and how this is being sold as a uh an eco eco-friendly way to bring together staff for meetings. And I pointed out that in one of the videos from the second life website, apparently this gentleman here has decided to attend the meeting as the Kool-Aid guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. I remember those wild west days of, yeah. Uh -huh. So yeah. he, would, he was the Kool-Aid guy in this staff meeting. He's like, well, okay, probably not a wise career move, but whatever. But this is where it is going. It, it what's really, startling is that here we are 15 years on from that and uh meta's metaverse is not really much more advanced than uh, what was being happened what, what happened in second life you know years ago but there are people who are betting a lot of money on it obviously facebook pumped a lot of money into it and um, mm -hmm. I think it's not coincidental that earliest investors in facebook were connected to the intelligence community uh you know it wasn't interesting uh, uh, it, it wasn't the CIA's venture capital division, which uh, name is escaping me at the moment. CIA has got its own venture capital firm that invests in uh, technologies that they think will be useful to the intelligence community. Hmm. But there were people who had long histories of being connected with the IC who were early investors in, uh, in Facebook. Uh, Peter Thiel was an early investor in Facebook. And of course, mm -hmm. uh, not also co-founder of PayPal, but he's now the head of uh, Palantir, which is the company that looks at social media. Oh, yes. Yeah, Palantir, the seeing stone. Palantir, things. yeah, yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're not we even can, trying uh, anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah, we we see everything and we'll tell you what it means. Yeah. Uh, but moving in that direction is probably where they would like to get us. A lot of people would, I think, prefer to live in a reality, mm -hmm. change yeah. your circumstances rather than engaging with the physical realm around us. And yeah. I think that's tragic. Mm -hmm. But uh, that yeah. is probably where it's going. And the novel I'm working on is using this as a plot device that. Uh, I, I think ultimately the question comes down to uh, how powerful could something like this be if it is really, really immersive, where you really believe that you're in mm -hmm. in the scene, this virtual reality. Yeah. What does that do to your spirit? What does it do yeah. to your soul? I mean, if you're participating, for example, in a virtual mm -hmm. human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay. How does that affect you? Sharon's written about this in the past. She wrote a, a chapter on this for uh, God's Ghostbusters, an anthology Tom Horn published about 10 years ago. Um, your, your, your soul on virtual sin, I think, or something, something mm -hmm. to that effect was the title. Could this be used as a portal for spirits, call them demons, mm -hmm. to access us while our guard is down? Mm. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. As storytellers, you guys know the power of a good narrative and how we can be drawn in through fiction to stories that are telling a story that we would reject if we were reading it as nonfiction. For example, Dan Brown and uh, The Da Vinci Code. Mm -hmm. All right. That's basically just repackaged Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Yep. A nonfiction mm -hmm. book from several years earlier. Yep. Um, where a lot of people read that book, myself included, and read, okay, this is... Yeah, was like, okay, you're trying a little hard, buddy. Yeah, yeah, uh, this, is, this is really bogus. Uh -huh. But when he packaged it in an exciting story, suddenly you've got thousands of people showing up at Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. Where's uh -huh. the grail? It's Indiana Jones. It's Tom Hanks. There's a hot chick. There's Gandalf. There's right, all, right. you know, yeah. Uh -huh. A good story will bypass our innate skepticism. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. if you're drawn into a totally immersive environment in the metaverse... And faced with situations like this, how will that affect the souls of of the people who go in there? Especially, especially if they're kids whose uh, frontal lobes are not yet fully developed. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's even uh, the conversation has been happening weirdly enough a lot longer than any of us realize with uh, first person shooters. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to talk about vicarious living. You know, and I'm a classic example of someone who's guilty of that. You can be Master Chief, you know, mm -hmm. you can be you can be Ghost, you can be Captain Price, you can be, you know, McTavish, you can be all these cool people, you know, and you can save the world, you know, every time. And there is a great game that addresses this vicarious living. It's called uh, Spec Ops The Line. And uh, it's it came out like maybe 15 years ago. It's like old PlayStation 2 or Xbox or whatever. But it kind of addresses this aspect of like vicarious living where you can find it on Steam or whatever, you know. But it's uh, it's a traditional like third person shooter. You're in Dubai after a sandstorm, you and your buddies and your special forces. And like as the game progresses, you're like descending deeper and deeper into hell until by the very end, um, the the villain of the story, uh, voiced by Bruce Boxleitner from um, hmm. uh, from Babylon. I'll remember him from Babylon five, you know. Right. But uh, at the end, he tells your guy, the hero, the hero who you've been vicariously saving everybody through. He's like, what have you done? You have made everything worse if you would have just stopped if you would have just mm. basically if you would have just turned the game off <laughs> you would have prevented all of this suffering you know in your vainglorious attempt to be the hero but you just had to be the hero mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and uh and it's amazing that there was someone who was like who had that thirty thousand foot view as a developer to make a game addressing this 15 years ago and no one knows about it. Like no one pays any attention to it. Cause that's yeah. one of the, that's one of the big things is that like vicarious living, you step into this world and you can be anything you want to be yeah. Neo. Right. You can look however you want. You can know Kung Fu. The, the new series on, uh, and in fact, I got to watch the new episode uh, tonight. It's on uh, Amazon prime. Um, the, the, uh, the peripheral, which is, familiar. yeah, yeah. It's, it's based on a, um, William Gibson novel. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of trippy science fiction. It, it's all, it's similar to that in which the protagonist is a young girl living in uh, rural North Carolina with her brother, who's a Marine Corps veteran, who's been upgraded with, with what they call haptics. Basically he's been enhanced. Like as oh. a super soldier, he and his buddies uh -huh. uh, and a 
in this this virtual world, and this is produced by the guys who did uh, Westworld. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Well done. Um, they're invited by a uh, a developer, a new game developer, to beta test a new headset that drops them into a really realistic uh, virtual reality. So I've been watching this as kind of research for what I'm writing, and uh, turns out this this girl. Uh, early 20s, mid 20s, whatever, is actually better in the games than her brother, the Marine. So oh, they, they're getting paid to beta test this new headset that drops them into this virtual reality. But uh, then it turns into like sort of a timey-wimey sort of thing where it's <laughs> not a game. They're through entangled pairs. They're actually interacting with a future. And somebody in the future oh, who's... Cool. Uh, yeah, and it, and it really gets weird from there. Uh, but the, the bottom line is, what is reality? And what can you be convinced to do if you think that what you're doing is not real? Uh -huh. and again, and what, yeah. is, what is the impact? What are the spiritual impacts for you and, and your soul when you're engaging mm -hmm. in this uh, this virtual realm? Um, the, the prequel series to Battlestar Galactica, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, mm -hmm. they, they uh, came out with a, a short-lived series called Caprica. Oh, yeah chronicled the development of the the, the um the cylons i was going to say the toasters that was a nickname for them uh, <laughs> the cylons. and it began with an immersive vr game mm -hmm. and a headset that brought people into this virtual reality um and of course hackers got into it and they set up sort of a you know an out of the game section of the reality where you could go in and do whatever you wanted. And the very first episode showed them at this rave inside a warehouse type club. And there was a human sacrifice going on. Now, again, this is in VR, so it's not real. This person's not really dying. Yeah. But, and they skipped over this so quickly. It was like in passing there, you, there's this character they show for just a few moments and you see her face changing every few seconds. And the one girl says to her friend who's in this game with her, who's that? Oh, that's Hecate goddess of the dead. Wait, what? What? And they never, they never came back to it. Yeah. So that's kind of what led to this whole thing mm. that I'm working on for this novel. But this, I think, is the direction that developers will try to go. And I think they'll find a willing audience for it if they can oh, yeah. boost the processing up so that the, the experience is closer to reality. And I hate to say this, but it will probably be the porn industry that achieves the mm -hmm. breakthrough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what, yeah, for obvious reasons. Yep. Um, you know, that was actually uh, what you're talking about was a, a plot point in uh, the third Heavenly Realms novel, Sturm and Drang, which takes place around the time of the flood, you know, with uh, with the Nephilim. And there's a part where one of the main characters actually has like a battle with Leviathan after the flood, like once, you know, deep underwater. And uh, and the guy like fights off one of the Nephilim constructs, the human animal hybrids that they, you know, probably created. And uh, and the the faithful angel realizes as he's communicating telepathically with Leviathan that like, oh, that was your plan all along, because if you can create a system that is just like you say, Derek, outside of God's rules, mm -hmm. then guess what? Just like Wilford Brimley, old diabetes said, you'll never grow old and you'll never die. You yeah. know, you'll if, yeah. if you never die, you never have to answer to God. Right. For anything that you do. Yeah. So as long as you are immortal, even in this construct, then or if you can Elon Musk style upload your consciousness into an AI, yeah. 
then you'll never die and you never have to answer to God and you can effectively be your own God in a false construct. You know? Yeah. And uh, that actually sounds like hell to me. Um, It does, right? Living forever in an unregenerate state. Separated from God. Right. And separated from God. God did Adam and Eve a favor when he said, okay, you're going to have to leave the garden and Mm -hmm. oh yes, you and all your descendants will have to suffer physical death. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to bring you back. Die. Yeah, yeah. Our spirits don't die. We we do live forever. It's just yeah. most people who who have rejected the word of God don't understand that fact. I mean, yeah. we're all eternal beings. It's just where are you going to spend eternity? Mm-hmm. Right. So they want. You're right. They want to put that up. They want to avoid the rule. Sharon is is writing about this in her uh, Red Wing Saga series. And, and again, I'm just blessed that she's letting me borrow some of her characters and bring them into the present day. That's such a cool idea, by the way, that you two are overlapping a little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. There'll be some people who'd be very excited for some people who caught some of the uh, Easter eggs in the, in my last novel, the God conspiracy, um, name dropped a few things relating to her novels, but I also sort of name dropped and hinted at, you know, folks like Tom Horn and Steve Quayle. Um, nice. But they, uh, want to, uh, break out of this prison of time into which they've been locked. You know, God is outside mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. You know, for him, he's not just everywhere. He's every when. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we all experience time in linear fashion. And so one of the things that they're trying to do in her Red Wing saga novel is break out of this prison of time because yeah. they feel it's unfair in, in the same way that in the Battlestar Galactica series, there was a, a really, really great scene with um, Dean Stockwell, who plays uh, Cavill, one of the most evil and powerful of the Cylon models, talking mm-hmm. about how he hated being restricted to the physical form that the creators of the Cylons had locked him into. He yeah. wanted to be free to you know, ride the waves of a, a supernova and taste colors and so on and so on. Uh, and that's he hated his creator for locking him in. And Sharon and I, we saw that scene. This is, I don't know, 10 years ago now. Uh, boy, we're like, that's that's why these angels have rebelled. Mm-hmm. They've been locked into, I mean, this, certainly they can move between dimensions that we human, in a way we humans can't, but they are still locked into yeah. experiencing time in linear fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of the, at the end of uh, Empyrean Falling, that was like one of the pronouncements of judgment was that like, you're going to be condemned to earth, which, you know, you both covet and now despise because right. you think humans are squatters, but you're going to be denied the power to actually physically do anything. So it's just the ultimate temptation. You're going to be locked into this. You're going to be a ghost in the mansion that you covet, yeah. Yeah. basically. And mm. there is just there's a lot of torment there for mm. them to not be able to have that full, you know, external dimension bio tapestry of reality that mm-hmm. God has created. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and now they're drawing their human followers into a cheap copy of that through the metaverse. And it is a cheap copy. You know, what's fascinating, too. You mentioned Dean Stockwell. I kept thinking, why do I know that name? I've heard that name. He's the quantum leap uh, guy, right. not the main guy, but he's uh, he's uh, not Ziggy, but the guy with the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Remember. And the cigar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Quantum leap. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can talk about that one. Too. Yeah. Dean yeah. Stockwell was was awesome. Yeah. Great actor. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so the metaverse, crypto, all these things that you don't think, 
you know, no one really knows how we're going to escape this. Thank the Lord that, you know, we have God on our side Amen. and that there is a life, you know, and an existence beyond this trap that mm -hmm. is being sprung on us. Um, Derek, do you think that um, seeing as we've kind of entered a new age here, you know, per the whole great conjunction that you've talked about a couple years ago, <laughs> do you think that America has any real chance of reclaiming her former glory or sovereignty? No, and I I think that's because the uh, those who've got the money to influence things at the very highest levels will be working for their own benefit and not for the benefit of the uh, the people of the United States, the people of uh, who actually live here. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, it's elite capture, but it's not all the Chinese who are you know doing the elite capture tricks. I think the spirit realm is doing the same thing, and yeah. they'll be looking out for themselves. I think the United States is reaching its uh, sell by date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Date is, is, is coming, coming up soon. When you, when you look at history and you look at the great nations, the great empires of history, they, they seem to last two, three, four centuries. And then mm -hmm. that's, it. uh, we may have another hundred years, but I, I doubt it. I doubt the United States makes it to 2100. Uh, if the Lord doesn't come here before then, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't think the United States last makes it out of this century as a single, political unit i think uh yeah, I agree. I earlier, you know we here in the ozarks and I, I know people in the south and in the appalachians are, are looking at people on the coast the coastal elites is like what's wrong with you people mm -hmm. and people in san francisco or new york who look out here in the ozarks and like how, how can you people live there yeah. there's no there's no starbucks in walking distance yeah, yeah. praise god <laughs> right I think, I think things are gonna have to split and yeah. uh, we're, we're going to find ourselves as uh, two, maybe three or more. We're so already seeing it. I mean, we're already seeing balkanization, right? We've, we've yeah. had yeah, here in Tennessee, middle Tennessee, we've seen hundreds of thousands of people from California alone in the last couple of years come here. Yeah. And interestingly, uh, the last and I can't send them back on boxcars as much as I want to. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. During the election, I don't have the but, credit rating for it. And yet. they're, you know, everything is congested. We're getting crammed and everything. We're all complaining about all these people from California coming. Don't, you know, don't California my Tennessee. And then the election came along last month mm -hmm. or this month, I guess, still. Uh, and Tennessee voted more red than it's ever voted in its history. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah. they all came here for that reason. Like, yeah. so mm -hmm. uh, the concentration is getting stronger. And the, the pockets are becoming more concentrated towards yeah, one side or the other. We're seeing the same thing here in Missouri, where uh, up until recently, we generally would flip back and forth between a Democrat governor and a Republican governor. And we'd split, you know, sometimes two Democrats in the Senate, sometimes one and one. Uh, after McCaskill was beat by Josh Hawley in the last election, uh, this time around, Eric Schmidt uh, really didn't have a problem with the, uh, the, the Democrat challenger. I don't see Missouri electing a Democrat senator anytime soon. Uh, even you know, even though we've got two fairly good-sized Democrat-controlled cities on our coasts, you know, St. Louis and Kansas City, uh, the rest of the state is very, very conservative and getting more so. So, yeah, we're seeing that. But having lived for four years in southern Illinois and uh, learning why, <laughs> yep. uh, which I didn't understand growing up in Chicago, why the people south of Interstate 80 really didn't like Chicago, uh, I saw it with my own eyes traveling around the uh -huh. southern two-thirds of the state mm -hmm. southern illinois would be happy to secede from the rest of illinois you see this with the uh, the initiative the vote initiatives in uh, the ballot initiatives in eastern washington to join mm -hmm. Iowa. uh 
Uh, There are parts of California that would love to split and leave Southern California to its own devices. Yep. So uh, this, I think, is going to repeat around the country. And we're going to wind up uh, falling out with the, the United States as two or three, maybe four separate separate nations. Yep. You know, and that, that makes me sad because, you know, I've got ancestors who took a gamble and yeah. came here. Some of them as early as the uh, 1630, Same. late 1600s. So yep. you know, they've been here through a lot of stuff over the last 400 years on this, uh, this, this continent. But yeah. we, we got to remember as Christians not to be distracted by that because our, our citizenship is first and foremost in a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And our yep. responsibilities and our loyalties are to that kingdom. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, you are, uh, you have a trip coming up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. speaking of loyalty to the kingdom. Yeah. Talk about, <laughs> uh, talk about your upcoming trip and uh, what sites are you especially excited to see or return to? We, in fact, we uh, just talked with uh, uh, Lipkin Tours today about this. Um, we're, we're going to Israel in late March and uh, early April of 2023. We'll be there from March 19th through about April 3rd. The last few days is an optional extension over into Jordan. Um, but Sharon and I are actually going a few days early on our own. And, you know, oh, cool. praise, praise cool. God and, and bless Aaron and Eddie Lipkin, Lipkin Tours, for flying us out a few days early and putting us up for a few days. We plan to visit a few sites on our own that um, are not on the tour. Okay. Uh, Aaron is coming with us because he's an archaeology geek like we are. And he, like us, loves showing how the archaeology, the stones are crying out, validating the history that's in the Bible. Yeah. So we're, we're going to go into the north because we've been doing some research recently. Just, um, I, I would say stumbled across this, but I think was kind of nudged this way. It's like, hey, Derek, look at this. <laughs> and found some research connected to the the book of First Enoch. Okay. Really? And uh, the Essenes. Now, the Essenes, I always thought until just recently that all of the Essenes were at Qumran, where right. the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, which is east of Jerusalem on the, you know, overlooking the Dead Sea. It turns out that wasn't the case. There were Essene communities in Jerusalem and also in the north near the Sea of Galilee, in, uh, specifically near the town of Magdala, which is where Mary Magdalene is from. The book of First Enoch is uh, broken into several sections, which were written at different periods of history. And the first 36 chapters, the book of the watchers describes in detail the sin of those sons of God who came down, mated with human women, taught us stuff we weren't supposed to know, and then how they were punished. Beginning at chapter 37 through chapter 71 is what scholars call the book of parables. And I didn't know until just a couple of months ago that, and I should have because Mike Heiser's written a book on this, his uh, reader's companion to the book of Enoch, volume two, uh, that in there are certain concepts and phrases that don't appear in any other Jewish writing Hmm. until the New Testament. So... Now, the book of First Enoch, the first 36 chapters, Book of the Watchers, probably written by about 250 B.C. The next chunk, the book of Parables, written by about the end of the first century B.C., toward the end of the life of Herod the Great. So before, or just before, the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist. And because no copies of the book of Parables was found at Qumran, it is assumed by scholars 
this seems to be the consensus that it was written by this northern group of Galilean Essenes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who in their little enclave there in the hills uh, called Mount Arbel, just west of uh, the, the, the village of Magdala, you can see Mount Hermon in the distance on the mm -hmm. northern horizon. You can also see the whole northern shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, including Capernaum, where Jesus based his ministry later. Right. So they wrote this, this book of parables, which describes this messianic character called the Son of Man. Now, we who are familiar with the New Testament know, okay, that's a term that Jesus applied to himself a lot. Uh -huh. And it's always been assumed that it comes out of Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees next to the Ancient of Days one like a Son of Man. <clears throat> right, right. But that's not a title. That's a description. It's one like a human. Because mm -hmm. Ezekiel, throughout the book of Ezekiel, is referred to by the angel with him as, okay, look at this, son of man. He's not being called the Messiah. He's just saying, human one, watch this. Okay, now see this. But in the book of parables, first century BC, prior to the birth of Jesus, this title, the son of man, emerges as a messianic figure, one who will return to earth and bring justice, punish the sinful angels, punish the wicked kings and wicked landowners who are oppressing the people. This is not anywhere in the Old Testament. Hmm. Neither is the idea that, uh, well, that there would be a place of uh, punishment for the sinful angels. I mean, that comes from uh, First Enoch, uh, the first 36 chapters. Again, that's not anywhere in the Old Testament, but this is part of the New Testament. Hmm. Uh, the other thing, too, is John the Baptist saying, uh, oh, yes, we can have a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this would have been anathema to the Essenes at Qumran, who believe you have to follow all of their very rigid rules mm -hmm. for forgiveness. But the Essenes in the north uh, were a little different. And John the Baptist comes out and he's preaching this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is not an Old Testament concept. That is Book of Enoch concept. That suddenly John the Baptist is preaching, and then Jesus is validating, and then validating this title, the Son of Man, mm -hmm. referring to himself more than 80 times as yeah. the Son of Man. It's like, wow, wait a minute now. So if the book of Enoch only emerged in the few centuries between Malachi and Matthew, maybe those silent years weren't as silent as we thought. Yeah. And then you start looking at the geology or the geography of where all this took place. And the fact that this is all on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then we go back to what we have uh, discussed previously about John the Baptist baptizing at Bethany across the Jordan, which is actually from the Greek Bethania or Batania, Bashan across the Jordan. It was all north of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' first disciples, you know, he sees, John sees him, behold the Lamb of God. And the next day, Jesus is there calling his disciples, Peter, Philip, Andrew, Nathaniel, all from Bethsaida, north of the Sea of Galilee. This idea that Jesus was baptized down near Jericho? No, no, no. He was in the north because Bashan in the ancient world was covered with these megalithic tombs, these megalithic monuments mm -hmm. for the cult of the dead, <clears throat> including one that looks like Gilgal Rephaim, about oh, a mile yeah. north of the Sea yeah. of Galilee. So long way around, I'm getting to some of these yeah. sites we're going to see. Uh, oh, man. This place called Kerbet Betaha. It's less than half a mile from the ancient site of Bethsaida. It's concentric rings around a central tomb, a dolmen that was covered by a cairn, overlooking the Jordan River. 
It's about a third the size of Gilgal Rephaim, which is about 500 feet across. This is about 150 feet across, but it's overlooking the Jordan River. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if that was where John the Baptist was baptizing? And then up in the hill here, just, you know, okay, we're down in the river here, up the hill there, there's this megalithic structure for the cult of the dead. And then when he gets arrested, Jesus, according to Matthew, moves to Capernaum so that what was written by the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. Those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The people dwelling mm. in darkness have seen a great light. So... Yes, we're going to go there. We're going to go to Gilgal Rephaim. We're going to go to the Serpent Mound of Bashan, which is that serpent-shaped ridge a quarter of a mile north mm -hmm. of, uh, of uh, Gilgal Rephaim. Mm -hmm. uh, and we plan to visit a site called uh, Bet Yerach, which is a uh, means temple or house of the moon god, which is very close to the baptismal site uh, most Christians go to now. It's just uh, south of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this goes back probably 5,000 years as a settlement. The Hurrians or the Horites of the Bible uh, settled there around 2300 BC and uh, brought with them this idea that you had to dig a ritual pit to summon spirits from the netherworld. But there's a megalithic monument that was discovered just offshore from Bet Yara about 10 years ago. That's even bigger than Gilgal Rephaim. It's got 60,000 tons of stone. Jeez. Whoa. And it's under about 30 foot of water. It was because of earthquakes over the centuries, the uh, water level of the Sea of Galilee has gone up and down. It wasn't underwater at the time they built it, but uh, just to give you an idea how much stone that is, Stonehenge, Stonehenge, they estimate about 25,000 tons. Wow. Wow. 60,000 tons of stone, probably going back 6,000 years, if this is about the same age as uh, Gilgal Rephaim. And Man. nobody knows why it's there. So uh, <laughs> there's an archaeologist who's written a paper on this, connecting it to one of the Ugaritic myths, one of the Canaanite myths from the time of the judges. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's also excavated at Gilgal Rephaim, at that serpent mound next to Gilgal Rephaim, and at that other site overlooking the Jordan River. So we're planning to meet him while we're out there and shoot video, make a documentary. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff over there. But when you look at the, the map of the dolmens, these megalithic tombs, uh, they are just so, I mean, the, the ancient kingdom of Og of Bashan yep, was yep, one yep. big necropolis. It was a giant cemetery. It was literally believed to be the entrance to the netherworld. And that's where Jesus began his ministry. Yeah, and then yeah. he went to the foot of Mount Hermon, the grotto of Pan, and asked Peter, who do you say I am? Yeah. yeah. Man, that's Man, awesome. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I bet you're excited. You know, it's I didn't. I never I'm realized that about just hearing about it. Man. Oh yeah, <laughs> man! I wish I could go. That'd be so cool to go. Oh yeah. my gosh! What's the biggest piece of luggage you got, Derek? We got dates for 2024 now. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we will probably take. We we've made this trip with two carry-on sized uh, suitcases. Okay. okay. So you got like do you, basically what I'm asking is, do you have one that could maybe accommodate? A six to two hundred and forty pound, maybe a five seven, sort of svelte two hundred and twenty pound individual. You know. Well, you know, I I didn't know that about John the Baptist. I always thought it was you know, he was baptizing in the Jordan that yeah stretched between oh, you the know. Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. You know, just you know, outside of Jerusalem. I just always assumed. Uh, but that's that's really interesting that you say that, and that's another that's one thing that I really like about Derek is that uh, he he really challenges 
all of these assumptions that we've that we have based on just traditional sites. Mm -hmm. You know, traditional yeah. because institutions said so, yeah. not because that you know, there is any you know real hard archaeological evidence. Right. And one example of that is one thing that Derek talked about in his book about the uh, the traditional site of uh, Calvary. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, and, and folks, and La Marzulli did a video recently where he's at mm -hmm. the traditional site of Calvary, and it kind of looks like you know, a, you know, I see mean, the he's eye right here, school. I know, just, but but like, I but I you do it differ. Too. I do it all the time, you know. But but you <laughs> differ. Like, tell us, tell tell us about that. Like, how yeah. do you how do you? It's a different. Tell us where you think the traditional site is and why you think that is the case. We. Uh, we had the, the benefit of uh, really the blessing of going there back in 2019 with uh, Rabbi Zev Porat, a uh, messianic rabbi, who will be with us again this uh, this coming tour. And he showed us a site on the uh, the Mount of Olives, which he believes is the uh, site of the crucifixion. And uh, independently, when I was writing The Second Coming of Saturn, I uh, came across research that led me to conclude that uh, Zev is probably right, that um, the site inside the old city the uh, which is uh, what the, uh, the church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, can't can't be correct. I mean, the Gospels tell us that he was buried in the same place in the garden where he was uh, where he was crucified. Uh, and then there are scholars who've uh, worked on this, not uh, like uh, E. L. Martin and others, who have uh, shown that Pilate back in the day would have wanted to make an example. The Romans would have wanted to make an example of anybody that they believed was a uh, a threat to their power. And, and of course, that's how this was sold to Pilate by the Sanhedrin, um, by making him a public example. So they put him on the highest place where travelers coming into the city would have been able to see him. And the road leading from Bethany to the uh, the gate that would have used coming into the eastern side of Jerusalem went right below there on the Mount of Olives. So I, I, I think there's there's something more to it, though, than just this being the Romans wanting to choose a really obvious place to execute who in their mind was a, a political problem. Um, this, the Mount of Olives that is, was a site that going back to the time of Solomon had been called by the priests, the Mount of Corruption, because he put a high place there for Molech, uh, Milcom, the uh, chief god of the Ammonites. The Hebrews called him Molech. And when I was looking at the Hebrew I realized there was a problem there because the definite article ha, which is the in English, is part of the name har ha mashkith. So is that what mount of the corruption? We you know thanks to you know being able to search with the electronic Bibles, you find that there is another reference to ha mashkith, uh, two other references in fact in in the Bible, and that uh, term elsewhere in Scripture means the destroyer, mount of the destroyer. Mm -hmm. Which kind of fit with the theory that I was working with, the uh, the thesis that this entity, Molech, called El by the Canaanites, Saturn by the Romans, was Shemiyaza, the leader of the rebellion in Genesis 6, mm -hmm. but also the destroyer of Revelation 9, Abaddon, or Apollyon, yeah. Mount of the Destroyer. Oh, okay. Well, what else happened there? So you start looking through the, the narrative of Jesus' movements, during the last week of his life, and he basically divided his time between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. He was teaching in the Temple, of course, and healing, but then he'd go to the Mount of Olives. It, it, prior to that final week, he had raised Lazarus from the dead there, which is kind of a signal. Uh, but then he he gave the Olivet Discourse, where he related 
his longest teaching on what would happen in the last days, the end times, right there on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of the Destroyer, the mm-hmm. place that had formerly had a temple for Molech on the summit. Um, he was betrayed there in the Garden, uh, garden, of, uh, garden of Gethsemane. He was, mm-hmm. he was arrested there. He was crucified there. He was buried there in the garden where he was crucified. He descended, according to Peter, into the abyss where he proclaimed to the prisoners— and uh, this would refer to those spirits who were thrust down to Tartarus, according to Second Peter 2 and Jude 6 and 7. Uh, those would be the spirits, the sons of God from Genesis 6. And then he was resurrected from there. That's where he was seen. And according to Luke, that's where he was caught up in heaven from Bethany. And according to Zechariah 4, he's going to just return there. And, and it, will, it will split in half. So the Mount of Olives is a, a lot of significance spiritually. Yeah. But Zev took it a step further when he said Golgotha, usually translated for us in English as place of the skull. He said, really means place of a skull. But whose skull? You go back into the Old Testament, you see that when David finally took Jerusalem from the Jebusites, he brought the head of Goliath with him. Bingo, baby. It's place of the skull. Uh, It is the place of Goliath's skull. Yeah. Because David took it with him to Jerusalem. Zev believes that he buried it on that high place there, the Mount of Olives. Solomon was convinced to put high places there for Molech, also Chemosh and Astarte, mm-hmm. which you know, think of the height of hubris because it's 200 feet higher than the Temple Mount. Every time the priests opened the doors of Solomon's temple, they'd look up to the Mount of Olives and see the temple for Molech up there. Yeah. Mm. But Jesus, yeah. in that final week of his life, basically laid out, here's what's going to happen in the last days. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, there's that phrase again, the Son of Man. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. And and then descended, declared victory, resurrected from there, and uh, when he comes back, it's going to be right there in the Mount of Olives again. So, yeah, we're looking forward to getting back to Israel, because when we go to the Mount of Olives this time, I didn't understand any of this back in 2019. So we're looking forward to going back and really having the opportunity to just, look, people, (laughs) this... This it makes so much sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense that it would be on the Mount of Olives where he was crucified and buried and and will come back. Mm -hmm. Many, many of those traditional sites, you know, God bless her, Constantine's mother Helena meant well, but uh, you could just imagine (laughs) some of these guys. Oh, yeah, 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 we totally we got the we got the real cross right over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't Look, real nails. Out. These yeah. are the real nails. These are good yeah. nails. Yeah, I saw some of those real nails and a, and a piece of wood from the real cross when I went to Rome. Oh, yeah. uh, they had it behind the church and the Church of the Holy Cross or something, mm-hmm. a, a little shrine in the back with these Church of the relics. whatever. Church of the whatevs. Uh, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is awesome. I'm excited for you to go back, and yeah. I would love to... I'd love to go on that Jordanian extension of the trip yeah. too because i'm i'm interested in you know like edom and sierra and pet going to petra yeah uh, i still can't wrap my head around what petra is and why it's there and who who are the you know but it, it is my that's why i want to go with that's why i yeah. want to go with Derek. oh well, i'll tell you when you come out of that seek which is that uh, chasm that you have to go through it's about a mile and a quarter and and suddenly you, you walk through the end there and you're you're back in the sunlight and you see the treasury ahead of you, which is, you know, from the movie, that's where they put the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is impossible to describe. And seeing it in the movie theater is is impressive. But when you're surrounded by it, it's just indescribable. 
No, I bet. And then when you go down in the city and you see that you go to the, uh, the, the colonnaded street and you get to the back of that area and you realize, okay, this here was the temple of their chief god, Dushara. And uh, we believe, thanks to the work of a Canadian historian by the name of Dan Gibson, that uh, that temple, Dushara, with the big cube in the forecourt, was the site of the original Kaaba. So we think Petra was far more spiritually important than it's been given credit for. Oh, we think, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. We, we planned for a while. We just haven't gotten around to it yet. We plan to write a book someday called Decoding Petra because we think there's a good chance that we can make a case that uh, Petra was Mount Sinai, that uh, the, the rock that Moses split is that, is that Sikh. Sorry. Really? I mean, think about it. That... I know there are some friends of ours like Joel Richardson who believe it was Jebel Allah, and you got that rock on the top that's split. Mm-hmm. But you've got water, you got to have water like what, a couple million ple- people plus flocks and herds. Yeah. Yeah. To this day, that dry river that comes out of the Sikh is called the Wadi Musa, the Wadi of Moses. Yeah. And if you really want to see something interesting, just Google sometime flood Petra and watch the uh, videos of, of tourists running for their lives when they get a heavy rain there in uh, Jordan hmm. because it fills up with water and people are, you know, being washed out of that seek. So I, I think there's wow. a good chance that that in fact was the original Petra, which means if that was where Moses or rather Muhammad was motivated to create his false religion, again, it's, it's sacred geography, mm-hmm. sacred territory. Yeah, you know, yeah. If that was where God gave the law to Moses and then Muhammad, yeah, yeah. Um, Muhammad went there to, to establish another. And if that is in fact the place where Israel will be uh, hidden in the last days, yeah, you know, the remnant will be hidden in, in the, in the desert. Uh, there are those who believe that Petra will be that place. Um, yeah. I, I think there's some interesting. really interesting stuff uh, there, but uh I, I encourage people who haven't, uh, who never heard this idea before that uh, that was the original Mecca. Uh, look up the work of Dan Gibson and his documentary mm-hmm. called "The Sacred yeah. City," which is available on Amazon Prime. The okay. Sacred City. He's he's convinced us. Okay. Very cool. And, and when is this trip? When are, when are you guys going? March nineteenth through April third of twenty twenty three, and then we'll be back there in uh, twenty twenty four, uh, also in the spring. Okay. We, we went cool. in Maine last time in 2019, and uh, I nearly passed out several times because they had a heat wave, and I don't handle <laughs> the heat as well as I used to. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's awesome. Well, well Derek, uh, tell people where they can find you, where your latest – of course, I mean, uh, a view from the bunker is, is fantastic. Where, 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 yeah, where can, they, where can they find you? Well, really, the hub is uh, gilberthouse.org. My website is derekpgilbert.com, but uh, you can get there from gilberthouse.org, and we've got links there to uh, basically everything we do. And we're bringing back our original podcast, PID Radio, which stands for Peering into Darkness. We just released an episode of that, audio only. Um, but, you know, we're kind of old school. Uh, just And, and it's, we, we're just realizing that uh, the amount of time it takes to create video because we, we've got two programs sci friday and unraveling revelation sci friday is going to go on hiatus uh at the end of the year okay because producing 30 minutes of video and having to make sure it times out exactly to 28 minutes and 30 seconds for network it takes probably five times more uh time to sure. produce a 30 minute episode than it takes us to do an hour of audio 
And we can cover so many more topics uh, on PID Radio. So that was the podcast we started back in 2005. So it is it is coming back, and you can get to that from uh, GilbertHouse.org, and then download our app because that uh, gets you all of our content. Yes, very cool, absolutely. A um, couple things before we let you go, Derek. Uh, one, uh, wanted to ask you real quick. Um, do you think, and this will be sort of for our Patreon only. We're going to excise this from the live stream. Do you think that the gender fluid movement, the uh, transsexual movement, the uh, gender confusion that's going on is going to sort of lead into human animal hybrids and uh, eventually dovetail into that whole Elon Musk digital immortality slippery slope that we've been talking about? I I think it's part and parcel of the transhumanist movement. This idea that we can recreate ourselves in our own image. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people need to understand that word image in the context of Genesis doesn't mean that we look, that God looks like we look, you know, he's not a biped standing about six feet tall. (laughs) We are his image bearers. We are his um, moral agents on this earth. That's what that means to uh, be created in God's image. But the transhumanists really want to create, uh, create a new species in our, in their own image. Yeah, they don't want to bear God's image. They want to be His image bearer. You know, carry His flag, His banner into the battle anymore. We want to carry our own banner. Mm-hmm. And the metaverse, which we talked about previously, is part of this as well. Because yeah. if you can just plug yourself in, it's it, really hard from a biological perspective. Scientists who have looked at what they want to do biologically, this idea that we are just hardware for the software program running between our ears. And we can swap parts like Mr. Potato Head is just, that's stupid. It doesn't work yeah. like that. The mm-hmm. body does not work like that. And they're finding this now. They're starting finally yep. to recognize that kids who've been chemically castrated years ago are dealing with other health issues because our mm-hmm. bodies are not meant to be tinkered with in this way. Yeah. And I, I just saw a story this past week, which is really disturbing in Vox, about people who believe they're the wrong gender and they very euphemistically refer to this as bottom surgery mm-hmm. sounds so much nicer than you know castration uh-huh. and mutilation and yeah. mutilation, which is really what it is there are a growing number of people who want both sets of genitalia yep they want to be keep be be surgically created hermaphrodites mm-hmm yep this gets back to the influence of the goddess Inanna. There, this is so illogical, both intellectually and biologically, yeah. that it is spiritual. It has to be. And we go back and look at who this entity was, Inanna or Ishtar in mm-hmm. the ancient world. She was praised in Sumerian hymns that we have today. They've been preserved thanks to the dry sands of ancient Iraq. These texts still exist mm-hmm. for being able to transform men into women and women into men and Wow. You can have two mommies and two daddies and it's perfectly fine. Join the army. Right. Or, you know, 57 flavors of gender. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can choose what you want to be. It, exactly. Uh-huh. It is about rejecting what God created and called yep. good. As Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning created he them male and female. And female. Yeah. And uh, this is what the transhumanist or trans transhumanist and transgender movement is trying to reject. Absolutely. Wow. Derek, we always Man. love having you. Before we let you go, one last thing. Uh, I got a Bible dad joke for you. <laughs> you mentioned the, the Karen Stone uh, yeah. north of the Jordan. 
do you think uh, who do you think the Karen uh, complains to? Do you think it's the Nephilim or the Watchers? Karen, Karen, oh, Karen. <laughs> Where's Gabe when I need him with a <laughs> bum 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 bum? I didn't say it was a good dad joke. Yeah, just... <laughs> dad jokes by their very nature. Yeah, yeah. Right. Don't tell that joke when you're over there. They might not like. They might put you in jail or something. Just straight to jail. <laughs> Derek Gilbert, we love you. We thank you so yeah, much man. for coming on to talk about the beast and the metaverse and crypto and everything. We wish you safe travels uh, when you go to Israel, and uh, we can't wait to have you back, buddy. Thank yeah, you. Love it, love it. Always enjoy talking to you guys. No, you, you too. too man. You it's have a great night, pleasure. and uh, Merry Christmas to Merry Christmas. Yeah, we probably won't talk to you again until the new year. So God bless you, boys. You too. Talk to you later. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show. Maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, we do this once a month now. Um, all this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness.